0: This is our second week in our series on mental health, and just to remind you of our schedule, last Sunday we talked about how to find hope in the midst of loneliness and loss, like loss of a loved one. You can go back and listen to that. That's online if you missed it. Today we're going to talk about finding hope in the midst of discouragement and depression. Then I'm going to be back over at Southwood. Brian will be with you here for the next two weeks, and then I'll come back on those dates. July 29th, I'll talk about how you find hope in the midst of fear and anxiety, and then how you find hope in the midst of defeat and addiction. So, this morning we're going to talk about finding hope in the midst of discouragement and depression. And the reason I chose both of those words is that so everyone would feel included, because not everyone here is going to deal with clinical depression at some point in their lives, but everyone is going to deal with times of despair. That's just part of life. It's a broken world. You have a broken body. It's a broken life. And so from time to time, you're going to feel despair. And so I want everyone to know, how do you find hope in those low periods, in those painful periods? But I would encourage you, if depression has never been something you've dealt with, I would still encourage you, when we talk explicitly about that this morning, please still pay attention, still take notes, because there may come a time in your life when you face depression or someone you love does. It is incredibly common. Here's just some numbers to help you get a sense of how big a deal this is. At any given time, there are 19 million people in America dealing with depression. That doesn't mean that 19 million people in the course of their life are going to deal with clinical depression. It means at any given time, that's how many there are right then struggling with it. Far more will experience it at some point in life. It is so common now that doctors call it the common cold of mental illness. They see it everywhere. I've had doctors say they feel like we should just start dropping antidepressants in the water supply. It is so common these days. It is actually now the leading cause of disability in the United States. Depression is incredibly common. I promise you. Either you're going to face it or someone you love will. And if you're thinking to yourself this morning, well, who do I know who's ever been clinically depressed? Well, me. I'll be your person. This is my deal. So this has been my struggle in life, is battling depression. And so I want to share my own story with you this morning. And it's not a story that actually begins with depression at all. I'm 42 years old now, and for most of my life, I've been a relatively happy person. I was generally optimistic about life. And for me, that optimism was founded in my faith in Jesus— I'm told by my parents that I became a Christian when I was four years old, but my memory doesn't go back that far. I can't remember ever not being a Christian. What I do remember is, is all of these happy experiences throughout my childhood and youth, growing up in a little Bible church in Tomball, Texas. and. In this church, we had a great family, a, a great community, great encouragement. I was there all the time. We were there for like Sunday morning and Sunday school and the Awanas and children's church and Bible study and youth group and special events. This little Bible church was like the air I breathed as a kid, and the music of my Bible church was the music I grew up on. Like it is. Well, we sing that all the time, but not with those really cool things that they do now. Just like the old school hymn version and the. Old Rugged Cross and Great Is Thy Faithfulness and all of those songs that you grew up with in children's Sunday school. Like how many of you remember the song, I've Got the Joy? saying that like every week. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. And I'll pause there to not embarrass myself further. But then it gets to the chorus and it says, I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart, down in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart, down in my heart. And I did for a long time. Until four years ago when I didn't. Over the course of 18 months, all the happiness and joy in my life evaporated. And I try to describe what is it like to people when depression settles upon you. Have you ever had an x-ray and they're taking an x-ray of some part of your body and the rest of your body, they put a heavy lead gown on you and it presses down. That's what it felt like every day. And the gown just got heavier every day i'd wake up with with this gown pressing down on me pressing all the happiness all the joy all the life out of me until i felt like i was just an empty husk of a person and all of the things that used to bring me joy they no longer did things like Reading the Bible or worshiping or hanging out with friends or going on a date with my wife or going on vacation, they left me empty. They didn't bring me any happiness at all. And so I tried to fight back with more prayer and more willpower, but nothing worked. Despair was my constant companion both day and night, it, it started robbing me of sleep. I would just lay awake in my bed with all of these really dark thoughts. And finally, I would fall asleep, but despair would come raging back at 3 a.m. every day to wake me up with all of these depressing thoughts again. And I couldn't escape it. It, it got so bad that eventually it began to affect my life. It, it began to make it where I couldn't function anymore. And so I remember after about 18 months of depression, I went to a party, birthday party for Brian Fisher, our senior pastor, and it, it was a small gathering. We had dinner with about 20 people and, and ate this good food, and everybody was talking and having a great time except me. I, I, I couldn't talk to anybody. I couldn't actually even look people in the eyes because I was so afraid I was going to lose it, and people noticed. And so the next morning, Brian Fisher did one of the kindest things anyone's ever done for me. He drove over to my house, and he sat me down, and he said, Blake, you're not okay. You're depressed. You, you got to get help. And so I sat down with my wife and I told her what Brian said. And she said, yeah, I, I think he's right. It's, it's hard sometimes for your spouse to tell because she lives with you all the time. And so gradual change is hard to notice. But she's like, yeah, you, you don't seem the same anymore. Something's wrong. You need to go to a doctor. And so Brian and Julie compelled me to go to a doctor. And that was one of the most life-changing things anyone's ever done for me. It, it really was incredibly life-saving. And that leads us to our first step. How do you find hope in the midst of despair? Will you talk about it? Now, spoiler alert, that is the first step every week in our mental health series. It was last week. It will be next time. Because why? Because nothing gets better when it's left in the dark. If you hide your struggle with mental health, whether it's anxiety or loneliness or depression or whatever, it is, you hide it in the dark of embarrassment and shame, it will never get better. You must bring it out into the light. That's the first step. You've got to bring it out into the light. Now, I'm a pastor. I know that. So why didn't I? Why did I try to hide it and keep it to myself for so long, for like a year? Well, because I was embarrassed of it. I'm a Christian. I have the Holy Spirit. I went to seminary. I'm your pastor. I'm supposed to be joyful. I'm supposed to be happy. I felt ashamed that I wasn't. And so I tried to, to hide it because of that. Shame! until I began to see this pattern in scripture. They don't do that in the Bible. The great men and women of faith don't hide their struggles in scripture. Here's what David does, this great warrior, this king, this mighty man. Here's what he says in Psalm 6. I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. Men, can you imagine telling your coworker that? I just, my couch, my bed is swimming in my tears every night. He goes on Psalm 69. I have sunk in deep mire. There's no foothold. I've come into deep waters and a flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for God. So here is David, this mighty man struggling with depression, with despair. And he tells God it. And then he writes it down so that everyone would know. What are you learning? David's not ashamed. When he deals with despair, he doesn't try to hide his depression and shame. He shares it with God and with other people. We're talking about it 3000 years later. See the same thing in his son, Solomon, the wisest man to ever live short of Jesus Christ. He struggled with really bad depression. And so here's what he says about it in Ecclesiastes 2. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind and there was no profit under the sun. So I hated my life for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me because everything is futility and striving after wind. And that that is exactly how I felt. In the throes of my depression, that's exactly what was going through my mind, but I wasn't willing to share it. Solomon was. I tried to hide it because I was embarrassed of it. And so I did what we all do, especially down here in the Bible Belt. It's time to go to church on Sunday morning. You're dying inside, but what do you do? You put on your happy face. We walk around with our good Christian happy faces trying to show everybody the joy deep down in our hearts when there isn't any When we're struggling, that's not what the Bible tells us to do. That's not what God wants you to do. God is not a fan of masks. God wants you to take the happy mask off and be you. Be real, be honest, be open, be like David, be like Solomon, be like Jesus who wept openly when he was in pain. We must bring our struggles into the light. They will never get better when you hide them. So you bring it out into the light. And first of all, you talk to God about it. Not going to surprise God. He kind of already knows. He sees through your mass. You confess it to God. And, and it's important to recognize sometimes as Christians, we feel like it would be sinful to tell God how we actually feel when we're hating life. You feel like, man, that would be complaining to tell God that I'm really upset, that I'm really depressed, that I'm not content. I, I shouldn't talk to Him about that. No. No. Actually, when you cry out to God in your despair and your discontent and your anger, you're actually pleasing God. Why? Well, first of all, he already knows it. But second, because you're declaring your humility before him. You're declaring your brokenness. You're, you're demonstrating your dependence. God, I hate my life right now. Please help me. That's a prayer that honors God. When you pretend to have it all together, God doesn't like that. So we've got to be open and honest. With God, We've got to be open and honest with our friends and family. God has given us other people in our lives so that we can be honest with them. So that we can cry out to them when we struggle in life. So they can help us. It tells us in Ecclesiastes 4, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. If you try to make it through... Your battle with depression or loneliness or anxiety on your own, you you will fall. Why? Because when God created the human species, He did not create us to be individuals, He created us in community. That's how you thrive as a human being, in open, honest, real community with other people. You must have other people in your life speaking truth to you, praying for you, helping you, encouraging you. So don't hide your despair or your depression in the dark. Bring it out and talk to people. Talk to your spouse, your friends, your roommates, your accountability partners, your pastor. Talk to other people about what you're going through. That's essential. In James chapter five, it actually tells us when we're sick, tell one another so that we can pray for one another because that's part of how healing happens. Well, you, you need to know if you're dealing with depression, that's a sickness. It's not an immaturity issue. That's a sickness. And so just as you would share it with another believer, if you were dealing with cancer, share it if you're dealing with depression, have them pray for you. God can bring real healing through prayer. Okay, so let's share openly with our friends and family, with one another. And if you are not at the moment dealing with depression, well, I would encourage you to look around your life and see if anyone you know is. Statistically, someone is. I would encourage you to look around. And if you have a friend or a family member, or an acquaintance, who, man, it just doesn't seem like they're okay, please speak up. Be for them what Brian was for me. Encourage and, and, and challenge them to, to get help. So let's, let's encourage one another. So we talk about it with God, with friends and family, and then we talk about it with experts. talk about it when I'm, I'm talking like counselors, psychologists, doctors, a pastor, somebody who can help you, an expert. When do you need to go talk to an expert? Here's kind of how I judge it. If your discouragement persists for a long period of time, like many months. If your discouragement gets worse and worse, if it begins to negatively affect your life, or if it ever leads to thoughts of harming yourself, you need to go talk to an expert immediately. You need to come in, talk to a pastor, a counselor, a psychologist, your doctor. Please come talk to an expert. Who better to give you advice than someone who's been trained in dealing with those issues? Now, the challenge is I have noticed that among Christians... There is this stigma about reaching out to a counselor or a psychologist. There is this feeling that that would be an admission of failure, of, of, of unspirituality. If you reach out to a counselor, you just need to have more faith. You just need to, to suck it up and be a better Christian. I, I want you to understand that that idea is a lie. Reaching out to a counselor, a doctor, a psychologist, an expert is not a sign of weakness or failure. It is actually a sign of strength. Let me prove it to you. The book of Proverbs chapter 11 says, Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. We are fools if we do not make use of the expert counselors God has provided us in this community. Biblical counselors, medical doctors, psychologists, people who can help us walk through those difficult times in life. And so if there's something holding you back, if you feel embarrassed about that idea, let me go first. I want you to know I'm your pastor. I have sat down with multiple counselors on multiple occasions. I needed their help. I've gone for counseling. I've sat down with my doctor and gone through all of this. Julie and I have gone to counselors for our marriage. I do not view any of that as a sign of weakness or failure. According to Proverbs, it is proof that I am wise, at least in this area of life. So if there has been something holding you back from reaching out to an expert to get help in the midst of your despair or depression, I want you to stop being a fool. I want you to go get the help that you need. That's what God wants you to do. So reach out. Be humble enough to ask for help. These experts, these counselors, doctors, psychologists, they can help us get to step number two. in finding hope in the midst of our depression and despair, they can help us to identify the causes, if possible, behind our despair. See, everything in your life has a cause. Everything you experience was caused by something, and that goes for emotional states as well. So there is some cause or maybe multiple causes behind whatever emotional struggle you're in the midst of. Now, depression is really complex. There are a lot of possible causes, and usually there'll be multiple ones at work together in any particular person's life when they deal with depression. So this morning, I cannot walk you through all the possible causes. I'm just going to give you some, just a few. But this would be something to talk to your counselor about or a doctor about to identify what the causes are because if you can identify what the causes are behind your depression you can treat the cause and not just the symptom and that can bring a great sense of healing okay so let's talk about some of the common causes again not all just some of the most common causes for depression or despair number one despair could be caused by sin We see that in David's own life. In Psalm chapter 38, he describes a painful struggle with depression that was incited by his own sin. And that shouldn't surprise us. Sin always leads to guilt and shame. And guilt and shame, left untreated, can easily lead to depression. So depression can at times be caused by sin. But here's the deal. It is not always caused by sin. And in my experience, it's not usually caused by sin. And so... If there's a person in your life dealing with depression, please do not assume it's because they sinned. That's what Job's friends did, and God was really mad with them. Chances are good that their depression is not caused by sin or immaturity or something like that. Okay, So sin, just one possible cause. Second possible cause of despair. Negative circumstances. So in Matthew chapter 11, we find John the Baptist in prison about to die. Life is as bad as it could possibly be for him, and he is depressed. And that's not a surprise. I mean, if you're in prison and you know you're going to die there, you're going to deal with some depression and despair. That's very common. You will often see people experience depression when they go through some prolonged period of negative circumstances. That could be a medical painful issue. It could be a divorce, loss of a job, death of a loved one. Something like that can often lead to depression. So for John, there were negative circumstances, but he also had something else at work. He had our third cause of depression, doubt. For John the Baptist, if you know his story, long before he was in prison, he was used by God to anoint Jesus as the new king of Israel. And it was an incredible moment. He baptizes Jesus, Jesus comes up, and John sees the Holy Spirit as a dove descend upon Jesus, and he hears God from heaven say, This is my beloved son. And so John is excited, and then the wheels come off. Everything goes south and John ends up in prison. How is that? He just anointed the new king and now he's in prison and he's going to die. And that leads John to doubt. He begins to doubt, God, did did I waste my life? Were you the wrong God to follow? What's going on? And so at the worst of it, he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the right guy? Were we supposed to anoint another? John is in the midst of doubt and that doubt fuels his despair. And that's very common. When people doubt the the goodness of God, the existence of God, the faithfulness of God, that can lead to a season of depression. Fourth common cause, very common medical issues. When things go wrong with our bodies, it can lead us into a period of depression. You see that commonly with chronic illnesses, especially ones that bring pain. Like cancer, for instance. Often a cancer diagnosis and depression can go together. You see it also in medical conditions that affect the endocrine system that regulates your hormones and all of that. If that gets out of whack, it's very common to move into something like depression. You see it also with pregnancy. Postpartum depression is incredibly common and actually very dangerous if left untreated. So keep your eyes on that. For any woman who's given birth, it's really, really common. So medical issues can cause bouts of depression. It can be caused by prolonged stress. I read a few years ago uh, about the story of Tommy Nelson. He's a very famous pastor of Denton Bible Church. Incredibly effective guy. Discipled lots of people. Written lots of books. Spoken at lots of conferences. Really effective pastor for decades. The problem that Tommy has is he's an adrenaline junkie. And so he feeds on that constant stress. He loves it, working all the time, always the next thing to do. He's a really strong guy, really physically big. And yet decades of living under constant stress will break anyone. And so eventually it broke Tommy. And in particular for him, it broke his brain. It it threw out a whack, the chemical balances in his brain, and he fell into a deep period of depression. That can happen to anyone, prolonged stress can lead to it another possible cause demonic attack you see that in the old testament king saul was afflicted by a demon and it brought on depression so again this is not by any means an exhaustive list just some of the possible causes for most people there will be an uh, an interrelationship between different causes going on in their depression that's why you need an expert to help you to walk through this a counselor a psychologist who can help you to identify the causes so that you can treat the cause and not just the symptom so what about for me And my story of falling into clinical depression, what was behind it? I didn't know at first. It took a while of talking to counselors and having friends and loved ones speak into my life. And together we identified three causes behind my particular bout with depression. Um, The first cause, not a surprise, like Tommy, uh, I tended to live in a uh, a state of constant stress. So four years ago, Southwood was growing leaps and bounds. It was always busy. There was always work to do at work, and there was always work to do at home. Being a father was so much harder than I could have ever imagined it would be. And then right at about four years ago, my wife came down with a number of medical issues that took her out of commission. And I became the primary caregiver for a season. And primary caregivers and depression go together like white on rice. It afflicts a lot of people. So prolonged stress was the first cause of my depression. second cause of my depression was theological doubt. I've told the people at Southwood, I'm a doubter by nature. I'm a cynic by nature. I've always struggled with doubt. It subsided for a while when I became a pastor, but it came raging back four years ago. Doubt over hell and the goodness of God and creating it. And it got so bad that I, I couldn't worship anymore. I couldn't read my Bible. I couldn't pray. I could barely function. The doubt was just so thick on me. Doubt can lead to depression. Third cause for my... Clinical depression is actually a surprising one because it seems like a really good thing. Four years ago, Southwood filled up. It's right at four years ago. We actually had a Sunday in the fall where we maxed out the building, not like the fire code max, we had passed that a long time ago, like the actual literal physical max of the building. We used every chair, we grabbed park benches from outside, we filled the building all the way to the glass doors. No one could literally enter the building anymore. And that seems great. It was. For about two weeks. Then we had a meeting where we all got together and we went in that room with the dry erase board and we sketched out so what's next for Grace Bible Church and we drew a chart on the board and on the top it said Anderson, Southwood Campus 3, Campus 4. Down the side it said year 2 year 5, year 10 and we started filling it out all of a sudden I noticed under Southwood it said Blake, Blake Blake and I suddenly realized I'm done. That's it no more mountains for me to climb. What is expected of me is that I will do the same thing every week for the rest of my life until I retire or die. And the room, it it started, the walls started caving in on me. I began to feel claustrophobic. I remember that moment incredibly profoundly. It was so, so despairing, which seems crazy because we just had this incredible victory. We filled up and then depression set in. It's actually incredibly common. I don't know if you've heard the story of Michael Phelps, the great gold medal winning Olympic swimmer. He talked a few months ago. He revealed that he dealt with really profound depression and suicidal thoughts. And you know when they were worse for him? Right after he won the gold. Right after he came home from the Olympics with all of those gold medals on his chest. That's when he wanted to kill himself. Why? No more mountains to climb. Felt like life was over. I've seen that so many times in counseling people. A guy has been working his whole life, kicking against the goads, trying to get a business up and running. And after 20 years, finally the business reaches success. Finances are taken care of. He can coast and depression sets in. He was designed to climb mountains and he doesn't see any more to climb. So that's what kicked in for me. Those three, prolonged stress, theological doubt, and success at work that led to no more mountains to climb brought clinical depression into my life. So once I had a sense of what's going on, okay, this is why I feel this way. Well, now how do we treat this depression? What do we do about it? Well, when you think about treating depression, traditionally there have been two schools of thought out there in the world at large. There has been the religious school of thought that says you treat the spirit through Bible reading and memorization and worship and praying and community in the church. And then there's been the, the medical school of thought that says you treat the body through, through psychology and through psychotropic medications. And some people out there are going to tell you, you have to pick one or the other of those. That is not true. No, that's not true at all. The Bible is very, very clear. God designed you a body and a soul inextricably bound. You cannot treat one without treating the other. You are a body and a soul bound together. So if you're going to treat something like depression, similar to loneliness or anxiety or addiction, you must treat both the spiritual part of you and the physical part of you. You got to deal with both. Okay, so we're going to talk about both of those. First, how do you treat the spiritual part of you when you deal with despair or depression? Well, this could be a whole series of sermons in and of itself. I can't cover all the ways that you do that. That's why you need to talk to a pastor or a counselor, someone who can walk you through the particular things you need to do to treat your spirit. I'm just going to share with you a few of the things that were most helpful to me in my battle with despair. So how do you treat your spirit? Well, the first thing that that made a big impact on my life was realizing that in the midst of my despair, I must continue to worship, pray, and obey. And to those of you who have not dealt with depression, that seems ridiculous. Of course you have to do that. You're a Christian. Do you think you get out of that? But here's the deal. When you're really depressed, none of that makes you happy. You worship and you pray and you obey, and it's like ash in your mouth. Pointless. It gives you nothing. No joy from it. No peace from it. You feel as empty after doing that as you did before. And so, month after month of doing these things and getting nothing from it, eventually you're going to begin to think to yourself, why am I trying? Why not just do whatever makes me happy in the moment? My challenge to you is please don't go down that path. Sin always makes everything worse all you will have is guilt and shame added on top of your depression you must continue to worship pray and obey even when you get absolutely nothing out of it that's actually the conclusion of the book of ecclesiastes written about solomon's bout with depression here's how it ends the conclusion when all has been heard is fear god and keep his commandments because this applies to every person even the person in the the midst of depression For months, for years, still fear God and obey his commands or life will just get worse. It's crucial that you do that. So please, even when you feel empty from it, keep worshiping, keep praying, keep obeying. Step number one to treating your spirit. Step number two, fight lies with truth. Whatever mental struggle we're dealing with, whether it's loneliness or depression or anxiety, whatever it might be, I've found that there's always some lie behind it. I mean, in truth, anytime a human struggles with anything, there's lies behind it. We struggle to believe the truth about God, about ourselves, about life. And so it is helpful when you're struggling with despair or depression to get behind that and figure out what lies am I right now believing or tempted to believe about God or myself or, or my future. And again, that's where a counselor or, or a pastor can help you. We can try to help you get behind the feelings to what is the lie I'm tempted with in this moment. If you can identify the lie you're being tempted with, then you can find biblical truth to fight that lie. Now I, I can't come anywhere close to covering every possible lie. There's an infinite number of them. I'm just going to give you a couple examples of how this could work in your life. As you sit down with a, a pastor or a biblical counselor or a mentor, this is what you're going to do. You're, you're going to find the lie. So maybe for you, you're feeling depressed because you did something really sinful in your past and you just perpetually feel guilty over it. You can't get past the guilt for that. For that, if that's what's going on for you, you need the biblical truth of 1 John 1, 1.9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You need to hear that verse and you need to memorize that verse and you need to tell yourself, it does not matter how sinful you have been. If you've trusted in Jesus and confessed that sin to him, there is no guilt. Now you are completely washed clean. That, that guilt does not exist; It's a figment of your imagination. That may not make you feel better in the moment, but it's true. You need to remind yourself of that over and over again. Or maybe for you, you're, you're feeling depressed because you lost your job and you're afraid that God's not going to provide for you. You need the truth of Hebrews thirteen five. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will. Will I forsake you? You need to memorize that and state that to yourself over and over again. As we said last week, memorizing a verse of scripture is not a magic pill. It's not going to wave away and make, it's not going to make all of your unhappy thoughts go away. But it's going to give you a strong foundation, it's so you can stand in the midst of the depression. So you need to fight lies with truth. Third step, you need to find good things to enjoy. Now, most of you know that. Our purpose in life, the reason God has us here on the planet earth, is to tell people about Jesus, not just to have fun. However, that does not mean that God wants you to live a miserable life. I think there's some Christians who who are not clear on this. They think that they're more holy if they're more miserable. No, those two things don't go together. God actually wants you to enjoy the good things he's provided you in life. God God actually takes pleasure in seeing you take pleasure in something good he's created. It tells us in Ecclesiastes 5, Then I realize that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him. For This is his lot. And Solomon's point isn't to say that finding pleasure in what you eat, what you drink, what you do, he's not saying that's ultimate. He's not saying that's a reason for living. He's saying it's good to enjoy it in the midst, recognizing that these are temporary, fleeting things. It's good to enjoy what God has provided. And so there's this balance that God wants us to walk. He does not want you to worship pleasures or possessions, but he does not want you to avoid all pleasures and possessions. He enjoys seeing you enjoy the good things he's created. And so that's going to look different for each of us. Here's what it looks like for me. When my depression set in, I became the stereotype, the middle-aged man dealing with a midlife crisis who goes and buys a little red sports car. I bought this car, though, and found life through it. And, and I, I can't overstate that. For me, this car gave me a new mountain to climb. I learned to wrench everything on that car. I learned to race that car. It gave me new relationships. I met guys at the track who would have never heard the gospel. I got to share the gospel with them. And eventually, through working on that car, my wife and I started a new charity here in town where we help people. It's incredibly life-giving. And so I have no chapter or verse of the Bible that says cars will be in heaven, but I believe it. I take it on faith and that's going to be there waiting for me because that car was a huge part of my healing in the midst of my depression. So for you, it may not be a car, but something, something good God has made for you to enjoy so that even though you know this life is broken, still you can breathe and you can enjoy the good things God has made. So find something good. So we treat our spirits, but we also must treat our bodies. Because human beings are body and spirit connected together your entire life, inseparable. Got to treat both. You got to treat your body. And so here's how this works. When somebody comes to me saying that they're depressed and they want help, what's the first question that I ask them? I don't ask them to tell me some Bible verse or talk through some theology. I actually ask them, how is sleep, exercise, and diet going for you? It's the first thing I want to know, especially if they're a college student because what I've found is that sometimes college students will come tell me that they're depressed and then I'll ask that question and find out they're living on three hours of sleep, a night, and pizza for every meal. And here's the deal. If that was the life I was living, I would want to die. Of course you're depressed. You cannot abuse your body like that. You have to take care of your body because what you do with your body affects your mind and how you walk with God. Okay, so you got to take care of your body. Practically speaking, what does that look like? Well, of course, it means you got to get enough sleep just so we're all clear. Medically speaking, on average for adults, that means eight hours a night. There are some people that can go on less. Okay, but on average, it's going to be eight. Some of us are going to need more than that. You, you have to average out at that or you cannot follow Jesus well. For teenagers, it's actually more like nine hours a night. Now, some of you out there are teenagers and you're thinking that's a joke to think that you would sleep nine hours a night. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you think that I'm joking, you are wrong and you're going to suffer for it. You, you must give your body the sleep that it needs if you want to live a healthy life. There's no way around that. Okay? You've got to get the sleep your body needs. Second, you've got to eat well. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah, the great prophet, is really dealing with some serious despair because a wicked queen named Jezebel is coming for him. She wants to kill him. And so Elijah runs away to the desert and he is struggling and he is weeping. And he tells God that he just wishes he was dead. And all of a sudden God shows up. And what do you think God says first? Okay, Elijah, let's talk theology here. Elijah, let's, let's get into scripture here. No, actually God shows up and all he says is eat. And boom, he creates a hot meal right there makes Elijah eat it. They don't talk at all, just eat. And then God lets Elijah fall asleep, have a good full night's sleep. Elijah wakes up the next morning. What do they do then? Boom, another meal. Makes Elijah eat a second meal. And only then do they begin to talk about God's plans for Elijah's life. Well, God understands. We're not going to have a productive conversation until you've eaten. You must eat well. You got to take care of your body or we're getting nowhere. And so you have to eat healthy foods in the right amount. There's no way around that. If you want mental health, you've got to take care of your physical health. And so I would encourage you, talk to a doctor, talk to a nutritionist if you need help with this. Eat a balanced diet. It's essential to following Jesus well. So you've got to get enough sleep. You've got to eat well. You've got to exercise. It's actually been proven that exercise alone can cure mild cases of depression. It's that powerful if you have regular exercise in your life. So Exercise. Fourth, rest. And by rest, I don't mean sleep. By rest, I mean get away from the things that are stressing you out from time to time. Again, remember Tommy Nelson's story, my story. If you try to to live under that stress all the time, doesn't matter how strong you are, eventually it will break you. You have to get periods of rest in your life and make sure that's an essential. Fifth, consider medication. So, every morning for the last three years, I've woken up and taken a little white pill called Lexapro. It's an SSRI, it's an antidepressant. I take it every morning for the last three years. Well, why not four years? Because that's been the period of my clinical depression. Well, because for a year, I was too ashamed to go get on an antidepressant. Because to me, that felt like failure. I'm your pastor, I'm supposed to have it together, I'm supposed to have that joy deep down in here. If I'm dependent on a little pill, to not feel despair, how can I possibly be a spiritual example to you? Well, it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse, and finally I went in, Brian and Julie made me, and I sat down with my doctor, and he said, well, Blake, you're looking at this all wrong. You're treating depression as if it was some measure of your spiritual maturity when it is not. It is simply a disease of your brain. And if you came into my office and you dealt with diabetes, what would I do? I would put you on insulin. I would put you on medication and you would never bat an eye at that. You'd say, of course I need that, of course, because I have this disease, I have to deal with it. But because it's a disease of your brain, you're pretending like with just willpower and more faith you can conquer it. You're not. You're not going to. And he walked me through what was going on, and I did a lot of research myself. Here's one of the charts I found, and you can't read it, but this way I look smart to you, so there you go. <laughs> just to prove that what's going on in depression is truly a biological issue. It is affecting the chemical balance in your brain. It's affecting a neurotransmitter called serotonin and your ability to process it. And when I was in the depths of my depression, what was going on is my brain wasn't producing enough serotonin. And so the parts of my brain that handle emotions were not getting stimulated. They were just off. I'm never going to feel okay as long as that's going on. What my doctor told me is like, without medication, it doesn't matter how much you pray, you're not going to get better. I mean, unless God just, boom, works a miracle, which is not usually what he does when we have a disease. You've got to take the medication. And I realized what was holding me back was pride, and that's stupid. And so finally, I humbled myself, and I began to take that little white pill every day, day after day. And four weeks later, as it finally reached clinical strength, life got way better. For me, it did. It it felt, the closest description I can can make to it is, you remember that lead blanket? It felt like somebody just took it off me. Not overnight, but gradually over a period of weeks, it felt like that lead blanket was coming off a bit at a time, a bit at a time, until finally I could breathe again, and, and I could feel again, and I could talk to people again and not lose it. I felt like I was getting my life back. Now, I want to be clear. Lexapro is not for everyone. That's why you have to talk to a doctor. Different antidepressants work on different people in different ways. It's really important to have good medical counsel to figure out what will work for you. Sometimes it takes a while to figure out the right medicine and the right amounts. And even if if an antidepressant works for you, it's not going to fix everything. I am still depressed. I'm still in the midst of this. But even though it can't fix everything, it did make life manageable for me. I now don't feel like the wheels are coming off my life. I feel like I'm making it in the midst of my depression. And for me, an antidepressant was a necessary part of that, and it will be for many of you. And so I just want us to have this moment where as a church, we all kind of look at each other and recognize that this stigma that the church has had for a long time against psychotropic medications needs to die. We need to recognize that taking something for depression or anxiety or whatever it is, is not a sign of failure or immaturity or lack of faith. It is simply using the good medications that God and his grace has provided us. So please consider medication. If you're in the midst of depression, it was life-giving to me. It can be life-giving to you. Fifth and final step. You need to be patient with yourself. Despair and depression are not quick fixes, even with the medication. It takes time to get better. It takes a long time. I'm still taking that antidepressant every morning, and I might be for the rest of my life. And I've reached a point where now I'm okay with that. Because I've come to the realization that this is just just part of my story that God is writing. And it, probably the hardest part of this whole sermon to talk about isn't like all, all the stuff I've talked about. So the hardest part of the sermon is to say this truthfully. That I've reached the point where I believe that there is good God is writing through my life that could not have been written without depression. doesn't mean that I like depression. I hate it passionately. I can't wait till there's never a case of depression again. I hate it, but I can see that in the midst of it, God is bringing good. First of all, I'd never have preached this sermon without it. Second, I would have never met those guys at the track and shared the gospel with them, some of whom have never walked into a church. And third, we never would have started our on-ramp charity without my depression. God can bring good through it. And, and you want it to go away, and I understand that. You, you desperately you want it to go away. And we're better at showing grace to other people. We give them patience, but we don't give it to ourselves. We just want, get better, come on, I got work to do. You've got to be patient with yourself and realize this is part of your story and there's good that can come from it. Don't rush it. If you try to rush it, you're just going to add stress and anxiety and pressure, and that doesn't make anything better. You've got to give yourself grace. Be patient. Now, the good news is, as I look back over these last four years, I'm not all better, but I am truly better. I'm not all fixed, but I am better than I was four years ago. There is true hope and healing that can come even in the midst of this battle if you will simply begin to practice these five steps. So, I would encourage you as you look at that list, if you're dealing with despair or depression, I want you to look at that list and figure out what is the thing I need to do this week? Have you talked to someone? Have you reached out to an expert? Have you thought through the causes behind your depression? Are you treating your spirit and your body both? Do you need to go talk to a doctor? You're giving yourself the patience that you need. I want you to look at that list, write it down, and begin to take the steps you need to this week to get better. And for many of you out there, this is not your thing. You're not dealing with depression. It's hard for you to imagine what it would be like to be dealing with it. It just feels so far removed from your life. What I want to encourage you to do is as you look at that list and as you hear my story, I want you to think about the people in your life. I can almost guarantee you you know someone in the midst of depression right now it 's just that common, so I want you to be open to reaching out to others to ask them how are you doing? How can I pray for you? It seems like you 're really weighed down. How can I help you? I want you to be for them what Brian was to me. Let us as a church be a family, a community where people feel welcomed and safe to come and to be honest, where they don 't feel judged or looked down upon because they deal with depression or an anxiety disorder or whatever it might be, but They're treated as just one of a whole lot of broken people because we all are. So I want us to pray and pray for those of us who are in the midst of depression and then pray that all who are not will be a source of light and grace and hope and encouragement for those who are. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are gracious and good and kind to us even in our brokenness. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are not ashamed to call us your children, that even when we struggle with despair and depression and anxiety and addiction and all of these kinds of things, that that doesn't make you embarrassed to call us your kids. Instead, Heavenly Father, you accept us in our weakness. You love us in our brokenness. You welcome us into your family just as as we are. And you come into our lives and you surround us with your grace and, and your healing and, and though you often don't choose to fix everything that ails us, still you're with us in the midst of our pain. And we thank you for that, God. You don't run away when life gets hard. You're faithful to stand with us in the midst of our discomfort and pain and suffering. And Heavenly Father, what I want to pray for most of all, for all of us here in this room this morning, I, I want to ask that you would help us to all be humble I pray that if there's anyone here who feels like they could never admit something like depression to someone else, I pray that you would break them of that pride. I pray that you would soften their hearts and that you would humble them to the point that they're willing to reach out. They're willing to be vulnerable. They're willing to be open and honest with others. I pray that we would be a family that does not expect perfection, but instead welcomes and embraces and loves one another, recognizing that all of us are broken in profound ways. I pray that we would model the love and grace and compassion of Jesus Christ to one another and to this community. And I, I desperately pray, God, that there's so many people in this town who are weighed down and struggling with depression, some who it's so bad they're thinking of taking their lives. We pray, God, use us to be a light of life to them, to reach out to them, to encourage them, to show them love, to give them hope. We pray, Lord God, that you would use Grace Bible Church to rescue many men and women who are in the throes of depression right now. We thank you that in Christ there is hope. We look forward to the day when depression is nothing more than a memory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I'll see you in three weeks.